Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's or on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. With that being said, I have with us back Dennis Alizé from Chicken and Waffles from Kansas City, Missouri. How are you doing today? Doing great, Justin. How are you? I'm very good. And and we I loved our first episode. Like there's a lot of things that blew my mind and I think it's we're gonna follow up on it a little bit and, and get into some more of the details. And I have some questions from the audience that I wanna fill some gaps in on. Um so sure. let's just dive right into it. The first one is is when you first started the restaurant, was it always your intent to put chicken in the waffle cone or was that something that evolved over time? Uh, yeah, so originally the intent was to completely have the chicken in the waffle cone, and that's where the name originated from. The, what ended up happening was our restaurant was surrounded by bars and nightclubs, and so you get a drunk crowd that comes in late at night. And what we learned pretty quickly is when you hand a drunk person a waffle cone filled with chicken, it ends up on the floor pretty quickly, and it becomes a really sticky situation. Um, and so we started um, brainstorming ideas and we introduced the bubble waffle at that point where we would lay it in a plate and put the chicken on top of the bubble waffle. Um, and so now we give the customers the option to get one or the other. It's very cool actually. And and what are like what what are the types of chicken that you're putting into the waffle cone? I mean, is it like your buffalo chicken? I mean, or is it you're doing different things with it. I mean, I think what the, I think the question also that I'm just reading out of it is like, they're like, it's a sweet cone, but it's what kind of sauces on the chicken. Yeah. So all of our, uh, so we have eight signature flavors of chicken and waffle and, uh, and those you get your classic, which is, which has the uh, maple syrup. We also have, uh, uh, Canadian Buffalo, which is another signature sauce of ours, which is a medium heat, uh, Buffalo sauce. It's infused with maple syrup. So it's got a uh, vinegary spicy kick, but then the sweetness kind of sneaks up on you. Um, we have a Casey barbecue sauce, which is, you know, just your classic, uh, little bit of a spicy, but sweet, um, barbecue sauce, uh, style. We have an Asian chili, which is, uh, similar to like a, a my ploy sweet chili sauce. Um, we have a tikka masala, uh, which which is fun. Uh, that's you know your traditional uh, tikka masala sauce that you would normally eat with uh, you know white rice. We we uh, we toss the chicken in that. We also have a chicken parm, which is a spin on the classic uh, you know Italian American dish with just the breaded uh, chicken cutlets with the marinara and, and melted parmesan and, and mozzarella, and we put that on top of the chicken in the waffle. Um, so yeah, the list goes on and that was the kind of the cool thing about our concept is, you know, since it's never been done before, everything's on the table. We kind of do whatever we want, whatever we think tastes good. Um, you know, we'll definitely put out there. And I think that's part of the beauty in your concept. Um, exploring, you know, the, the, being an entrepreneur, being creative, it, being able to explore it. So I'm going to jump like the bubble waffle obviously that's introducing something how like i hadn't heard of it until you brought it up on the podcast so it begs the question like how did you hear about a bubble waffle i know they've originated in hong kong and i've got some orientation around it and i actually weirdly i think i may have heard about before your podcast but i never put any of it together i don't think so how did you how did you discover it because i'm just so curious because it's the first time i actually heard someone use it here in the united states but maybe it's more common than i think well uh i don't have a, a great story like all uh cool things i found it on the internet um but you would see so like i when i would be searching online i would see a lot of the bubble waffles that would pop up specifically for ice cream uh restaurants and and so it would always be this nice looking bubble waffle with ice cream cones and different toppings, whether it be Nutella or bananas or strawberries. And I always liked the way those, those waffles looked. I never actually had the chance of, of trying one. Um, and then there was actually an ice cream uh, place that opened up in Kansas city and went there and tried it uh, with their desserts. 
And I always like the way it, it just kind of easy to eat. It breaks apart. You don't need really a fork and a knife. It, it, you could literally just break a piece off and then it kind of melts in your mouth. Um, so I always remembered that. And so when this kind of concept started happening, it wasn't even a discussion. We weren't ever planning on using traditional Belgian style waffles. We just knew when the whole cone thing started happening where people knocking it over and it falling all over the floor, we knew that we were just going to do bubble waffles after that. I, <clears throat> I like this a lot because there's a pivot here, but there's also staying away from the traditional Belgian style waffle. Cause I do think there's other types. I've seen some others. I, like I said, not the bubble and, and, other than the the Belgian, the Belgians happen to be the shape and just the way the dough is. You can vary the dough and stuff like that, just like pizza, just like anything else. So there's that. So let's take a step further. the The next question I have is, like, once you decide that this is the concept that you're going with, you you come up with a name. Like, how do you go about educating your clients and customers on what you're doing because it is a new product and it is something that in this case like most people are unfamiliar with like even with the chicken and the waffle cone was probably there's a lot of shock value there so i guess the question is how much education of your clients customers were you needing to do so the first the first thing is um you know because we insist on being different i never wanted to be compared to another chicken shop or another chicken and waffle restaurant um i wanted to be something unique and different and that's i think where one of the reasons we, we ended up with bubble waffles but the 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 problem uh with with being different is not a lot of people are familiar with it so when you have a name like chicken and waffle you automatically the majority of people's brain is programmed to whatever traditional chicken and waffles would look like taste like um and you know be presented like and when they walk in they get a totally different experience um but actually bringing people in um to even try it is i think step one and so the first thing was the name chicken and waffle is very self-explanatory that's what we sell and so I think that name helped us a lot. Um, it also helps, you know, with Google searches because if somebody's searching for chicken or they're searching for waffle, the, our name is going to pop up, um, and so that also helps bring a, uh, attention to the uh, to the restaurant. Lastly, it's just being comfortable and understanding exactly what your brand is and what it is you want to sell, and how you want to sell it, and how you want to be perceived by the general public and your customers um and so we i think with, with the because of the amount of time that we had to plan this whole restaurant out you know i'm still i still had my job at the dealership and it was just kind of a side little project that me and my wife had we had a lot of time to think about these uh questions and get them answered before we actually committed to opening up a brick and mortar uh restaurant so and what did that uh, look like with your wife? Like, talk about that development period, those conversations, because you're you're branching into something in your relationship that wasn't there in the first place, right? This sort of entrepreneurial journey, right? Absolutely. So she's, I mean, my wife is uh, is very bright, um, and uh, I I quickly, you know, our relationship has always been. I I come up with crazy ideas, and I always pitch it to her and i want her to poke holes in it because she's really good at poking holes and and things and not not because she's discouraging me from doing it but because she wants me to make sure i have all the answers to any possible scenario that could go uh one way or the other with this whatever it is we're talking about so you know when it started with chicken and waffle okay what do you think about this logo She'll poke holes in it. What do you think about this name? She'll poke holes in it. What do you think about this recipe? She'll poke holes. In it. What do you think about this advertisement or this post, or the way this layout looks on the on the website? And to this day, I think there's not a single decision that I make um, regarding our business and the growth of our business without throwing the idea and letting her poke holes in it. Um, and I think that's the key to making sure that. I mean, and again, nothing's sure, right? Uh, but when you have a lot, multiple people poking holes in, in something, you'll you'll tend to see if it's actually a good idea or not, because everything might sound like a good idea when you think about it. 
but then you'll start seeing other points of views and perspectives and and as long as you can accept that and learn from it then i think you you can be pretty successful and so yeah for my wife that's that's her job right now is to to hear my ideas and poke holes in them i think it's probably a pretty healthy relationship and i think when it's done in the way that you said it and and you're willing to hear it and she's willing to give it in a safe environment it's not neither party's taking it the wrong way and and there's with the hope and dreams that there's growth at the other side of it i think there's a lot there for sure um and I like this because it's why your business is strong. You have a strong support system, your family, you know, the American dream that we talked about, the compounding effect. And then you have a support system in your wife that's literally there as a sounding board. And and you don't, your ego's not caught up in whether she accepts your opinion or not. Your ego's caught up in the long-term outcome, which is can we be successful together? And so I totally respect that. Let's talk about the logo. Let's talk about the idea. Like I know um, you had it done and stuff, but I'm I I like it a lot. I think it's just so well done. Like how, how many logos did you go through before you settled on that one? Um, it wasn't different. So I I designed that logo, and so it wasn't necessarily different logos where I would start from scratch. It was just evolving and so it started with with one thing and then it changes to another and it's every single change was me and my wife were staring at it no make this this way maybe add this color change this around that's not really legible and even to this day like if if you ask me again i when i look at that word the way waffle is spelt out to make it look like the shape of a waffle in our logo i look at it and i don't think it's as legible as i would like it to be you know, the word chicken is there and waffly good chicken is, is very legible. But the word waffles, for me, it's hard to make out. My wife thinks she could read it just fine. But I think as a whole, when you look at it, it's it, it no longer became about the word and more about the look of it. And it's it looks like a waffle and it has a chicken on it. And kind of like when you see McDonald's M arches you know you already you know from the from those golden arches that it is a mcdonald's you don't need to actually read the word and so obviously that's a, a very big and aspirational goal but that would be the goal right is they see this waffle and they recognize it to be chicken waffle yeah i like that actually and i and that explains and and really dives in the question is because part of it is you when you build a logo you have to build a unique brand that goes along with it and a recognizable thing if you don't think about it at the very beginning because very hard to change it later on and i've been there and so the the beauty of what you've done and even though there may be tweaks down the road is it's so clean the way it is and i agree it's established like i know what it is, I can recognize that I've even asked you for apparel because I'm like, I want to rock it here in Nashville because yeah. I think it's just awesome. And I think the way you design the apparel is great too. So let's talk about like culture, spirit in the business. How do you get the the team members that, that work for you, with you to embrace this same type of culture and environment you're trying to talk to the 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 open-mindedness the creativity the non-traditional um food especially in a town that's so traditional and blue collar you know so i when it comes to my employees i treat them as my my equals in the sense that i want everybody to have a sense of ownership in this restaurant um that doesn't mean I'm going to hire everyone that, that applies. Um, so we're very particular about who we bring on. Um, but today is a perfect example. This morning I came in um, and for the last week, I've my uh, there's something bugging me that I want to come up with a new sauce, um, a new type of dipping sauce that's going to be exclusive for, for us. That, you know, just like when you'd order cane sauce, you, you're going to order our sauce, right? And so I've been tweaking these recipes for the last week and this morning is a great example i i make it and you know i line up all the staff and i want them to poke holes in it so i had them you know each try out the sauce what do you think what are your thoughts what do you think what should i do what should i add and then and i take all their feedbacks because it's all very important to me and i ask them would you would you ask for this would you buy this would you pay for this would you you know and I don't think a lot of businesses do that. I don't think a lot of owners will go to somebody who's a cashier and genuinely 
ask for their opinion and put it to work. And we do that a lot um, because there are eyes and ears. They're, they're the foot soldiers on the ground and they hear and see and interact with these customers. And so a lot more than I do. And so their opinion matters to me. And uh, I think that helps our culture in the sense that when they see that their, their opinions are being listened to and implemented they they that sense of ownership actually kicks in for them and uh and i see it and i appreciate it and it gets rewarded and define ownership for me when you say that they're taking ownership will you define it for me just i because sure. i i just want to give the audience a grounding or um for an anchoring i learned this trick from my dad um because he's done it to me and uh, every now and then when I walk into a restaurant, like my restaurant, whether it be this one or even the, the franchise location that we have, I'll, uh, I'll drop a quarter on the ground somewhere uh, in the corner of the restaurant. Um, and or sometimes I'll take a piece of paper and I'll come to the left and I'll throw it right in the lobby. And I will go and I'll watch these cameras or I'll go check to see when this thing is going to get picked up and by who. And um usually when stuff like that happens it's not that they're not cleaning it's not that they're not noticing it's just you know they're busy but that that ownership mentality when i as an owner when i walk into whether it's the bathroom and i see water spots on the sink or i see something on the floor i pick it up and i don't expect all my employees to do that but i do get a lot of employees that will do that and they'll pick it up and throw it in the trash and it might not be a big deal it might be just a piece of uh you know receipt paper or, or a wrapper for a straw but the fact that they do that, that gives me, that lets me know that they have a sense of ownership in this place, that they care about its appearance. I agree with you 100%. And here's the interesting thing about this thing is, and I'm going to just just raise the level of thinking on this, what you're doing. I'm going to, because you're, you're breaking it down into the microscope and I'm going to, I'm going to pull it out into a telescope. And that's this. The thing about this theory is this, is when we're we're looking at this and, and we're trying to see whether someone takes ownership and treats it as their own and picks up things, and people miss it and people do get busy, that's true. Um, but generally, if a person walks by it twice, sometimes it takes two times to register it, but a person that really cares about the business and takes ownership will pick it up. And especially if it's modeled and appreciated and championed, it happens. But it's that way in society too. If we help out society, you know, the common thing is put away the grocery cart or whatever, like we do these little things, we're actually creating like a free market and freedom and being good people through doing that, even though that's what socialism is trying to create is that social person that cares about the well-being of everything and every human that cares about the well-being of everything equally and everything's an equal playing field. Well, while that's true, if you actually take the financial piece out of equalization and make it about opportunity and economics and the benefit of the whole, then we're solving the problem the same way and everyone cares about society and the businesses and their families respectively in the same way where they're willing to pick up the piece of trash or the quarter that's in the side of the room. And so I think that's just important to anchor in what you said that what you're talking about is something that's not only true in our businesses, but it's true in society and as a global world that we should all wanna clean up the world around us. You know, So I just wanted to anchor that, Dennis. I think it's a great lesson that you're teaching your team members. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, good people, there's good people out in the world. And um, I think everyone is has good in them. Uh, and some people just do a better job of showing it than others um, on a regular basis. And some people are genuine about it. Some people are doing it for to reap rewards or attention or whatever it is. But um, in, in any case, it's, I mean, the, the whole cleanliness thing is just one part of it, right? There's There's just... There's some things that just come natural to, to good people. Um, and, you know, that would be an example would be if you see an old lady leaving the grocery store, holding her, you know, carrying her groceries. You just you don't know this person, complete stranger, but you're going to go and you're going to offer to help her carry her groceries to her car. Right. And that's something a good person would do. They will they'll stop whatever they're doing, take time out of their day to help this old lady, because whatever it is they were doing will still be there when they're when they're done helping this lady and i see those types of scenarios at my restaurant sometimes you know when you see the old lady or the person in a wheelchair or uh 
the lady with kids that are screaming and you could just hand this kid like, you know, uh, a little scoop of ice cream and make them happy and, and make their day and their, and their parents will get happy. And it's just good to see. And I see that my employees always take that initiative and, and I, I love that about them. Um, and I continue to encourage them. And so with your franchises and as you've grown, how do you take this? I mean, you're, you're going into other places. You're, you're trying to replicate what you're talking about. Like, how have you been able to um, spread yourself, I guess would be the word. How are you able to concentrate on more than one location at a time? Because I think a lot of people have trouble making that first step once they have a successful initial location. Yeah, I, uh, you know, trying to wrap my head around how I've done it um, or how I was going to do it before I actually started was, I think, the, the craziest part. And originally... You know, we always knew we wanted to franchise. I didn't understand how smart of a move franchising was as compared to um, trying to do it on my own um, what, until I actually did it. And, and what I mean by that is if I'm going to build this company of corporate-owned stores and hire managers and train them and move them on to another store and open the store and make sure that store is successful and try to manage all these stores. Um, you need a, number one, you need a very strong team. Um, you need a lot of money and it takes a little bit of longer, a little bit longer to do, um, which is where franchising kind of helped a lot is I'm able to pick and choose who I want to franchise my business, just like I would pick and choose who I want to work in my business. And so we do get some, I mean, there's some, been some people that have applied to get franchises and, you know, I'll sit down one of the, the steps in our process for franchising is a one-on-one -on -one meeting with, uh, with me where, you know, I, I get to know them and ask them questions, personal questions, you know, not just, you know, the basic business stuff of, you know, your work history, but just personal questions about them. We'll go out to dinner and I'll see what they're, what they're like at dinner. Um, and if I'm not comfortable with this person, I don't want to do business with this person. I don't have to. And I don't, if I don't feel they're going to be able to represent my brand the way I want and, and instill that into their employees. And so we're very particular about who we let on to franchise, number one. And number two, when they do get onboarded, the very first, I mean, we have a 103-hour training course that they have to go through. And 50% of that, uh, uh, half of those hours, 50 hours of those are in our restaurant here, our corporate location. And so we'll bring that, that owner ownership uh, team and their management team into our store and we'll let them work every single position for 50 hours and basically a week and a half. And we're instilling our culture and the way we do things with them and they're able to carry that over into their location when they open. I think it's important, and I think um, even Colonel Sanders in his old house, like, actually had a, actually had a fried chicken, like restaurant, like a big restaurant, not just like KFC size, like a massive hallway that you could actually cater events and weddings at because he wanted people to try the food and he wanted always to be able to train people there or be around it. Yeah. So I agree with it. It's the whole reason there's McDonald's University, also not the one that trains everyone else, the one that actually trains the employees. And, um, the, um, although I don't think they do a public one anymore, but it's, it's the thing that you're doing, which is so important. And you're thinking about it from very early on, which I think is also important. And I think by the nature of franchising, you're getting ownership mentality and they're putting skin in the game. They're just not as creative and you need that in your business. Anyway, you need operators and that's what franchisees are. They're they're entrepreneurs, but they, they're operator entrepreneurs. They're not necessarily builder entrepreneurs. And, and so there's a lot of this. Sometimes we're, we're, we're builders and we're scalers as entrepreneurs. But generally, like when you get good franchisees, they're good scalers. They'll start to build your business. They'll start scaling their franchises and want more. And they'll reinvest their money. And I think that that's really important to note that there's still an entrepreneurial spirit. Shaquille O'Neal is still an entrepreneur, even though he owns like 200 whatever, like Papa John's. It's probably way over-exaggerated. But my point being is that he's found his pace. Now there's a Shaq, Aroni pizza or something. But 
it's it's the same idea what you're what you're talking about here. I mean, in Kansas City wins a Super Bowl, there may be a Mahomes waffle cone or something, and so coming down the road. So, and and you make a very good point. There, you're you're absolutely right. There's those entrepreneurs. Like, I'm one of those entrepreneurs that I I can't wrap my head around buying a franchise um, just because inside i'm very creative person and i think whatever this franchise is doing yes it's successful yes it's working yes i'm sure i can make money yes i'm sure it's a good investment but i feel like i can do it myself i can come up with these recipes this system these processes because this is how how i am i i would feel like i'm paying for someone to to tie my shoes when i know how to tie my shoes myself it's very oversimplified but you also have you know, those people that are genuinely really good operators. I'm, that is not one of my, my strong suits. I, I lack organization. Um, my wife is my, like, so whenever I come, whenever I had, when we first started out before we had a, uh, you know, bookkeeping and accounting, when I had invoices, like I, they were all over the place and it would, it would be up to my wife to file everything, put it in the right envelope so we could give it to our CPA. So we make sure we're, we're expensing everything correctly. And so to this day, I'm trying, I obviously work on doing better. It doesn't come naturally to me, but there's some people that it comes natural to them. They're organized, they're structured. If you show them how to do something once, they'll know how to do it and they'll be able to duplicate it and do it again and again and again and have multiple stores. Um, and so that's a very good point that you make. And I just think it's natural. I mean, I mean, and to be honest with everyone, this is like, I started off a very structured scaler. I didn't like the initial ideas. I wasn't very good at them. Like it just, and then I like swung the other direction, just at a necessity to grow the business. And now I'm, I'm struggling to go back to being that organizer, that operator, that thing. And I've had to do it because of COVID. And now I'm having to do it because I, I wear a lot of hats in my new, like Justin Bizarro 3.0 stage of life, Entrepreneur 3.0, as I call this stage. And the podcast thing just, it's a whole other animal now that I do an episode a day, plus the marketing, plus trying to keep up with all the expectations, plus now I go back and do the wave. So I think it's like one of those things where we can also be both or learn to be one or the other, but it is... um, we are naturally tending to be one way or the other. And most people think I'm naturally creative. I am the creative thinker, but I'm naturally, I like structure way more. I like discipline and I like things going the same way. And I like things to be the same way every day. And I find success in where my day is very structured and I use my free time for spontaneity but everything's already done if I'm doing that, you know, and if I want to start a new business, it's done in my free time, not during my work time. And so it's like that. But I will say as I've gotten more creative and as I think more creatively, it really puts in perspective the creativeness that has to take place in order to build a business before it's scalable. And I think that's what you've done, Dennis, is you've built something and you, by talking to your wife all that time, by by sitting in your business, you built something that then was scalable um, for everyone. And I think that that's really cool. So how did like colors, like uh, apparel, like the choosing of like the layout of your restaurants, like how much detail did you guys get into when you were doing that? I mean, how much detail according to the coloration and the color of the seating and the tables and your initial store that you're training everyone in did you do um, before you actually open? Like, or have you changed things also? Do you change things when you don't feel they work well? It's, it's always a work in progress. And I think it'll continue to always be a work in progress. Um, whether it be the equipment we use, the technology we use or the aesthetics. I mean, fashion trends change the the architecture trends change um and so we always wanted this place to look like a hip modern uh place and so we wanted to incorporate the color black because we think it's sleek and modern and we wanted to incorporate natural wood because that was kind of the trend where you see exposed wood uh ceilings with with black and led lighting and so we knew we wanted to do that. We wanted to have it, give it a feel with, you know, indoor, outdoor space. And, you know, we're, we're kind of locked in between two buildings. We're in the middle of a, of a bigger building. 
Um, so we don't really have, you know, windows on either side of the restaurant, but in the front we had good frontage. And so we ended up ripping out the entire front end and installing a, you know, a black garage door with glass windows in it. And so in the spring and summertime, you could pop that garage open and you could kind of give it this indoor outdoor vibe, uh, which we liked a lot. As far as, you know, the the color scheme and everything, I mean, it, it all it all started with that logo. Um, we, we did a bunch of different variations of colors with the logo, but we always knew that the logo was going to be the centerpiece of this restaurant. And I, we try to put our logo on everything in the restaurant from the napkin dispensers to the bottles uh to the tv screens and the menu just everywhere we can um and so we wanted to carry that that color theme where it would match into the restaurant and it does uh as far as the tables and chairs it you know you just our first uh, our first batch was uh was from amazon um and we bought these i mean we're on a budget so we bought uh you know, these uh, aluminum bistro chairs, I think is what they're called. And they're, uh, it's like four of them for a hundred bucks. They're good chairs um, for about six months. But, you know, when you get busy and heavy usage, they'll start to bend and the legs will start to fall apart. And so we needed to, you know, get new chairs. So we ended up getting another, the same chairs again from Amazon. The third time around at this point, you know, business is good and I didn't want to keep buying chairs. So we started researching and we found a company called Industry West and they make the exact same chair. Only this one is a lot better quality, heavier gauge steel, um, has a warranty on it and they're a lot more expensive, but I don't have to change chairs ever again. Um, And so those are the kind of things and decisions you have to make. Um, Do you want something that's cheap? looks good might last you six months or are you at the point where you need something that you don't have to worry about ever again and it started the same way with our kitchen too you know we're still on a budget so we're, we're online looking for you know uh liquidation auctions to purchase our equipment and you know we buy them and they're good and they work but they're never exactly what we needed or what we wanted we had to kind of rearrange things to make it fit this piece of equipment rather than the equipment fit exactly where we wanted to and when we went to our next location uh, the franchise location at that point we already knew exactly where everything needed to go and what we needed to get and so we built the kitchen around our spec sheets and so we would we had a spec sheet of all the equipment we needed and then the, they came in and built everything and put the outlets where they needed to go and, and space the counters out the way they needed to so that everything can fit exactly where it needs to be very cool um dennis what's your favorite part you mentioned the creativeness but what is really that you enjoy about it the most i think you're really passionate about it you talk about putting the branding everywhere because i'm going to ask about that next or if you just want to tie it together but there's the um you know there's a lot of enjoyment you get at it, which is you take pride in which is why you also want your brand on on everything including the tvs but talk to me about that what are the things you enjoy about it the most Wow, that's a that's a tough question. I, I I listen. This is I live, breathe, and die chicken and waffles. So it's it's literally uh, an everyday, twenty four hour a day obsession. Um, there's obviously things that I like doing more than others. There's some mundane things that I I dislike doing, uh, but I have to do. Um, an example of things I don't like to do would be. You know, I have to calculate food costs all the time because prices, especially now with COVID, you know, up and down, everything's always changing. So I need to make sure that our margins are going to continue to be where I need them to be or do we need to make adjustments before something happens, right? Not get surprised at the end of the month. Um, so You'd that's be surprised if how many entrepreneurs don't actually know their food costs. <laughs> yeah, and I, I listen, I always, from... I guess I learned that from car sales because with car sales, you, they give you, you, they tell you how many cars you got to sell at the beginning of the month. And it's not a matter of, Oh, if you don't get it, you'll get it next month. No, you got to figure it out. And what I learned is if you wait till a week before the month is over to sit back and look at where you're at and then be like, Oh crap, I only got, uh, you know, a week left and I got to sell this many cars. You're, you're in trouble. But if you keep it top mind awareness from day one, of the month by the time you get to the other month you're already, end of the month you're already at your goal because you're always thinking about it you're always pushing a little bit more and so 
that I take that same philosophy with this business. I look at from day one, I'm looking, okay, here's our food costs for this day. Here's what we did last year. Here's what our prices are coming in. Here's the invoice from last week. And that's something that I've, I try to do two or three times a week from for this location and even our franchise locations, just out of curiosity. I want to see who has more food waste, us or them, you know? And so I'm always comparing um, the two restaurants together just to, to make sure that we're, we're performing the best that we can. So those are the things I dislike doing, but I have to do. What I enjoy doing um, really is on the marketing side. It's the creative side. Um, lately, I've been doing a whole lot of TikTok videos, a whole lot of Instagram, a whole lot of Facebooks, uh, these podcasts. Um, this is like my third one. Um, which is something I never thought about ever doing. I was never comfortable doing it. Uh, but, you know, it's something that I feel like I have to do in order to grow my, my, my brand, Chicken and Waffle, and my personal brand, because I feel like when people get to kind of hear me and know me on a personal level, it will help the brand grow a little bit more. And I, I, that's, that's, my, that's my theory anyway. We'll see if it works. Well, um, we're in an era where the, um, especially in food, whether we realize it or not, that it's so attached to the entrepreneur and a lot of it's been traditional where it's like some celebrity chef, but it's also characters. Okay. Like McDonald's and Wendy's, although we know Dave Thomas and we know Colonel Sanders as the entrepreneur that started those companies, but Burger King, we don't know who the, the person is who started. And we know that brothers names were McDonald's, but most people don't know who Ray Kroc is or whatever. And and um, I think that's his name now that I just said it out loud. But it's um, – and so, like, the part of the difference in the era is, like, with TikTok, with Instagram, and I really struggled with this at the beginning. Like, I swear it was probably 15 years of people telling me to be more engaged in social media as a business before I actually was able to cross over. And the only reason I was able to cross over is because I did the podcast first. And I sort of like, okay, well, I now I've said it. Now the world hears it. I probably said some things I probably shouldn't have said or that I could take back, but let's grow from them. And then I'm like, oh, I can be more open on social media. Even now, I just started doing reels also, which is like a whole new thing for me because I don't understand how they work. They're much easier than I thought. I will say that. Like I've overcomplicated the shit out of it based on what I saw online, but that's a whole other point. But I have a tendency to do that as an entrepreneur and, um, and in my creativity. And so I like what you're saying, and I think that it's so true that we have to – engulf it in but i also think that our personal brands and like who we are now as entrepreneurs and being able to tell the story ourselves is so much more valuable than have a marketing advertising company in between us and even that like i said i used to until four years ago all of the social media and stuff we did in marketing it was always answered by like a third party or an outsourced system and never dawned on me that i was ruining the sales of my business by having someone else deal with my customers and that's something else I find that you guys, you're very engaged, you're doing the work yourself, you're being creative yourself, and you're in the business yourself. So I guess my question is this. You said you live and breathe and die uh, chicken and waffles. What is it about it that keeps you so engaged? Yeah, it's, I'm trying to think of what I want to say here the the potential i see i guess is what keeps me engaged um you know the fact that like i can you know i can i can imagine the potential and and then see the every time i for at least for this business um i've noticed the more work hours and effort that i put into it I'm actually seeing the results. They might not be huge results. They might be small wins and they might be sometimes later down the road, they end up being big wins, but I'm seeing results. And I feel like I still haven't even re reached the cusp. Like there's still so much growth and potential in the company that that keeps me engaged. It keeps me excited. Um, and it keeps me wanting to push because I want to see how far I can take the thing. And you know, like it's just—it's like endless possibilities with where this thing can grow once you kind of get the gears going. And it and and this not happen overnight. It might sound like it happens overnight. I might make it sound oversimplified. There was a lot of work that went into this 
business and and there's luck involved too i'm not saying that anybody who who comes up with their own idea and puts in a lot of work it's going to work uh, there's some luck involved for sure and you know some making the right decisions versus the wrong ones but i mean i get excited i start thinking about you know just now you talking about you know marketing company i'm thinking okay i want to hire my own marketing team um how much is that going to cost where they can just non-stop follow me around with a camera and let's get everything on film. Maybe we could do a documentary. I mean, that's the stuff that's popping in my head as you're talking in regards to, to chicken and waffle. And there's there's just so much more. A distribution center. Yeah. Um, you talk about McDonald's University. Maybe we can do like a, an actual class type thing where it's continuing education for all the other franchisees once we, once we get open where they can start sending their managers as they onboard them. And rather than them train them, we'll train them here at uh, you know at no cost just to make sure that our brand stays and this is literally just coming up to me in the last five minutes but that's that's what gets me excited is there's so much potential for this company and i can i i can see it i just have to get there and so that's that's what keeps pushing me yeah and i and and the the idea is once you're in a business or you've created a business and you've been able to leverage what you've learned from your parents and been able to leverage it into a restaurant and then leverage your own skill, which, and your, and your wife's skill. Um, and I would say her name, but I don't know it. So the, Sarah, I'll say, what'd you say? Her name is Sarah. Sarah. And so yeah. Sarah, um, actually, I think you told me that the last episode now that I think about it, but Sarah, you know, you have a partner and you have a strong family and you have compounded values. And I think that what you're able to do with it and what's actually happening is there's a successful business or successful structure that you're creating, but you go from a creative standpoint, then you put structure to it and then you implement it, which I think is huge. And part of being able to put structure to something is being able to have someone put holes in it so you can build structure around it. If it's still a good idea after they picked holes in it, it usually means that it's a good idea because you put more structure to it, at least in my experience. And so I like that you're able to do this. And uh, I think your potential is endless. I think your product is so unique. And I know there's going to be imitators. But again, you're so you're at this point, you're how many years in the game. So let's just say that to the audience. But you're also moving at such a high hyper functioning rate, that would be very hard for someone to do it. Or even if someone created a similar concept and put millions of dollars behind it, that's not you. And that's the personal branding we're talking about. And so I think that that's pretty cool as well, Dennis. If you were to to have a dream about where the business goes from your legacy standpoint or from the impact you want to make, like what does that look like? I mean, it's one thing to build this corporation. It's very valuable and you have lots of stores and there's these trophies and awards and things like, for lack of a better term, medals on your chest. But what ultimately are you hoping that this does? And, and when you got into it, I mean, obviously you want success in your life, but what is there more to it than that, I guess would be a better question or a better way of phrasing it. Well, so my son, my son's, a, he's a smart kid, straight A's, um, you know, just athlete, good kid. And, he basically told me, uh, was it like a year ago? And he's getting letters from all types of universities and colleges, but he's, uh, he's telling me he doesn't want to, to go to college. And so my first reaction is to act like my parents would if I had told him that. And that <laughs> I tried to restrain myself from doing that because my parents were always, oh, you have to go to college. That's the whole point why we're doing this. And so I, that's how originally how I wanted to react, and I didn't. Um, and so I wanted to hear him out. And so he's like, I don't, I mean, I don't think I need to go to college. You know, I could learn everything it is I want to learn, you know, online or by doing it. I just want to start working. And I'm like, so what is it, what is it you want to do? And he hit me with the whole, you know, family business thing. And it, I don't know if you've seen the movie Step Brothers, but it reminded me of that. Scene yeah, where... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've been that and the, I understand what you're saying 100%. Go on. And so, um, you know, he works in the restaurant and he takes a boatload of stuff off my plate um, when it comes to just the operations of this restaurant, even though he's still in high school. Um, but, you know, the, the two, three days that he's working here a week, 
he does a lot. I mean, he does our schedules and he does this and uh, he does our, our US food orders and so on and so forth. Um, and so he wants to grow into this business. And so, but I was like, okay, but let's just say this business isn't around in 10 years or five years. Let's say I sell out. What, what are you going to do then? And he didn't really have an answer. And I was like, okay, so let's go back and think about what it is you want to do. And, and we kind of started going over career options. Anyway, he chose, he, he likes math, he likes numbers, he likes business, and he wanted to end up doing some sort of accounting or financial advising. And I told him, listen, that is exactly what we need. That's what chicken and waffle needs. I was like, if we need to be able to figure out, you know, whether it be, you know, taxes or, um, you know, our nonprofits and charities or whatever it is, bookkeeping, figuring out our costs as we grow, because as the, the, the numbers get bigger, the percentages matter even more. And so that kind of got him excited. And now he wants to go and get a, you know, a degree in accounting and then come back and, and apply that with chicken and waffle. So I guess to answer your question is I want to see this thing grow. That was the whole point of this is I left the car business for my family um, not because I wasn't making money in the car business because I was, I was making very good money in the car business, but I wanted to build something for my family as a legacy that I could pass on. And so I can't think of anybody else that would deserve to take off, take, take the reins after I've, you know, took this thing as far as I could than, than my son, because he's, you know, he's right there with us and he helped us build this thing from day one. Um, and so I'm excited to see, that happen and if it does it's great if it doesn't no it's fine i mean at the end of the day it's his life and his uh, his choices but uh i guess that's what i would like to see well and it's interesting on the education thing and i believe me i've been there where i didn't want to go to school and i had already started a business food service partners already started i'm like i just want to do this full time and we're partners and you know, my money's in this business and, uh, you know, I've got my investment in here also. And, you know, my father's like, no, we, you still need to gain a skill. I don't care if you're studying business and doing business. Like, and we had a lot of talk, but one of the things I realized is when it wasn't actually him, but I was like having this discussion with a peer or a coach, um, a peer and a coach actually during this like summer in between thing. And I wasn't sure about school and what I really want to do and if I was going to play soccer and, like, and I've got this business that I'm really involved in. And one of the things that they they said in, in this weird discussion is, what is the skill that you're going to bring to it? Like, at the end of the day, if you had to rely on a skill, you're going to need one in business. What is it going to be? And interestingly, I picked up on the accounting thing and the finance thing, but that, uh, and I learned those things. But the thing that I really actually when I went to school that actually stuck was like the social skill, like the philosophy, the, um, the, I think they called it, uh, organizational behavior, how organizations function as a whole and how hierarchies matter and, and positions in it. Weirdly, those things stuck with me. And then the leadership classes and stuff like that really stuck. And so I just found like little things within, school that I did well and I didn't do very well in undergraduate I think I graduated with like a 2.3 just so everyone's aware I was trying to play soccer and go to school and be a fraternity and try to run a successful business not recommended um, but I did have help thank god and um, but after I did get out of school I realized that I needed to hyper focus on the business in order for it to grow and we grew two locations very quickly after that but to your son's thing, I think that once we find where we have a skill that'll actually matter because we need it to come into a business. And for him, he's young enough where he's already got the credibility and he doesn't need to establish it with everyone that he's worked in the business in every position and has worked his way up as your son. So he doesn't, he's not like he's graduating from school and coming in from scratch. Like he can go to school and then come back in the business because he's been in the business. And I think that that's cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point about college, like, you know, I, it's not until after you, you, you kind of grow up and, and, and think back and, you know, as much as I didn't want to do the whole college thing either, I, I, I did it uh, reluctantly, but afterwards you, you sit back and you think, man, I did actually learn a lot. And it's not necessarily the stuff that was on the syllabus that you learn, but you do learn how to become a better communicator, how to, you know, 
organize your tasks, prioritize that type of thing. Um, speech, um, you know, I took some speech classes, some interpersonal communications classes, and you're right; those are the things that kind of stuck with me, and not necessarily my, you know, statistics class. Yeah, and. This is the other thing is I think we get so caught up on the exchange that we're trying to get in college. Like I pay money, I need something back out, like tangible, that we forget that there's one weird thing. And generally, I don't feel you need it. You can be successful without it. But there's one thing that has happened to me because of it. I'm able to structure things very strongly into a learning environment. And I'm very to do pull things out and understand how to extrapolate information and rephrase it such as things as this podcast or take real life things like I'm studying them and extrapolate the information out of them to apply in everyday situations. I don't need to go back and do a Southwest story from nine years ago as my education process for the people I work with. I can use something that just happened yesterday. I understand it. I understand how to apply it based on a case study I've done before and I can do it in real time. That's where it is, and I think people learn that skill, but I think as going to school, if you're an entrepreneur at the same time and you grew up in a family business like Dennis's son and Dennis, who also grew up in that type of environment, we just have the ability to pick up things faster, especially if we're learning it after we've already gained the skill, like the, the food service skill, and then we're stacking another skill like accounting business philosophy on top of that skill. The, the entrepreneur skill, the business skill, the food service skill, whatever it is, when we stack experience onto it or education or exposure, uh, it matters. So, Dennis, what do you, like, how how far do you, you know, do you have dreams that this grows internationally? Do you see chicken and waffle all over the world? Do you, do you worry about what that looks like for you in terms of your schedule and your time? I mean, do you worry that this thing might actually become so big you don't know how to manage it at some point i mean because you are i mean how do you rationalize at night how you're going to structure all this as it grows we talked about the franchises and there's dreams but there's also you're a very reality-based human so i also know you have one foot on the ground and one head in the cloud so what is that what does that look like i mean if you're not, if if it doesn't, if your dream doesn't scare you, then it's not big enough, right? Yeah. I'm I'm always looking to push the bar, um, and so I mean, do you say international? And like, like my stomach kind of turned there because that it's as exciting. I would love to see it, um, and I would, you know, I I don't want it to compromise what we've built so as long as i'm able to duplicate what we've done here on a regional then a national and then an international level while still keeping the standards and everything the same and figuring out how to do it in different languages and different cultures yeah by all means i won't stop i'll keep going there's not going to be at that point when we get that big it's no longer about me and my dream right it, it kind of becomes bigger because there's there's going to be a lot more people involved and my team will continue to grow. I'm not looking to, to take all the the praise for this. And who knows, you know, whether that means we get, you know, bought out by a bigger company or become publicly traded. Who knows? I don't know. But my point is I can't I can't stop something that's bigger than me. And so I would like to get to that point. Um, and I it, it scares me, but it also excites me. So yeah, why not? Um, if we can get international, that would be cool. I'd like to see, you know, I always said I wanted one in each major city. Um, if that means 50 locations roughly across the, the country, that would be great. Um, I think Canada is a pretty good market for it too, and that's originally where my life's from, so I'd like to see some there. Um, but again, as long as it doesn't turn into something that I didn't originally want in the first place. You know, a lot of times... You may have started something and then all of a sudden it, it turns into something else and it's not what you wanted. I don't want that to be the case. So um, if I can perfect, and again, it's always a learning environment, a learning curve. And so if there's always something that needs to get tweaked. Um, so I need to, I mean, there's still, when it comes to implementing, you know, our values and our training, um, those types of things that you actually have to teach someone. It's not a product that I can automate. Um, 
that's that's the trick right here is is learning how to make that and duplicating people versus duplicating products because you know our sauces are very easily manufactured it's a science formula it's going to be made it's going to be bottled and it's going to be the same whether you have it here or you have it in china uh same with our breading and our boxes and our bags and our cups but the people is the key here and it's trying to figure out how to train and duplicate people um, across state lines and across country borders. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that's, you know, how do you make the leap? Do you go English countries first? I mean, there's so many different scenarios. Do you go country to countries that naturally like chicken and waffles? Like the Middle East tends to attract to that type of food a lot. And, you know, so it's like, you know, where do you go? I think that that's one of those things. But and one of the reasons I asked the question, because I think it's just with who you are and the growth of your concept and the uniqueness of your concept, I feel it has that potential and it's worth looking at the telescope. And then, like I said, bring it down to the microscope level in this case. So which I've is, had people reach out. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I've had people reach out. Uh, I've had one guy reach out from Cairo, Egypt. Um, and I've had two people reach out from the West Bank um, that want this concept there and ask them how they hear about us. They're just on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm just like, you know, it's 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 weird. Uh, but really, the reels is what does it. Because when I do my Instagram campaigns, I'm, I'm not targeting anybody in the Middle East. I don't that that doesn't pay my bills. So I'm doing very specific targeted geolocations. But when you put a reel out on Facebook, or Instagram with the hashtag, it'll go worldwide. And that's how these things tend to go viral. Um, and that's how they find me. But I mean, they've reached out and it's it's always the same conversation that, I've, that I just had with you basically, is I told them I'd, I would love to be there. And I told them the only way I could be there is if you, like for example, the guy in Egypt, I told him you'd have to tell me that you have to pay for six stores up front. Because if you're gonna, if you want me to go to another country I need six locations to not just to make it worth my while, but for it to work because I'm going to have to invest my money in Egypt to train you guys, to make sure the supply chains get to you guys. Um, and so in order to cover that expense, I would need you to buy six stores. And so that deal kind of fell apart, but that's, that's where I'm at. I think the the more we grow, obviously the more resources we have to be able to kind of spread our wings and, ex and expand our reach. And I, I think that that's one of the things about international expansion. In order to do it so quickly, there has to be a large commitment. And you're, like it's just hard to do right now. But I do agree with you that I think there's it's only a matter of time before someone's willing to bite off that chunk. And I do think it's only a matter of time before you are dealing with it. Because chicken and waffles in the growing, just in the traditional sense is growing worldwide. So it's naturally to see that this concept, which is creating a niche that's almost within the same market, but not really, um, would grow as well. And I think that you're going to find a lot of success because you've already mastered and built such a good brand. And I wouldn't say it's not ever changing, like you said, but it just has international appeal also, um, especially with the way you've done the logo and the branding. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Dennis, like, let's. I, I, I really appreciate you coming back on and answering all the questions. And definitely over time, going to have you back on again because I think you have so much insight, and it'll be interesting to see how your business grows, especially if you do start taking on some of this um, franchisees and maybe even some of this international growth. It'd be interesting to hear your story because I do think, um, with your family, with your experience, with now your third generation of restaurant tour your son being involved in the business and him going to school like the next few years are going to be just so huge because he's also going to be learning at a rate that he's also able to apply it to the business with you guys even if he's in another state in school i think you'll still see that influence so that's pretty cool as well is there anything that you want to add or anything that you feel would be important for any entrepreneurs out there that are in this space that that you feel could help someone that's that's in your situation or in a situation you've previously been in you know a lot of entrepreneurs um they tend to not want to ask questions it's almost like that guy that refuses to ask for directions um <laughs> because he doesn't i mean it's just it's like a guy thing macho thing but uh i found that 
the if you ask a successful person for advice a truly successful person for advice they will give you more than they, they'll paint you on an entire roadmap um so surround yourself Absolutely. by those people and ask those people the ones that aren't successful that are pretending to be successful um will not give you any information um and or they'll lead you the wrong direction but the for the most part just ask um and and ask often um because there's there's things that you might not even think about um to ask and just by continually asking questions you might they might say something that might trigger a question from you so i would find those people and just just be outgoing and ask well, walk into a business talk to the manager there ask them what they do this how do they do this i do that all the time i walk into successful national chains and i'll start having conversations with the uh with the manager i did that at chipotle the other day um just to find out what um they had this special little cleaning thing that they use for the for the hood and i'm like can you give me the wrapper can i see what that looks like where you get it from and it's just that type of stuff is just always be curious and always be asking um and i think that's how you would grow your business uh, that's i guess that's my my advice for them yeah, I agree 100% actually on everything you said. I think that it's just being curious and good leaders and mentors will ask you questions to help you start to come up and create the ability to ask yourself questions. And I think that that's one of the things also. It's like they're full of information. They will paint you roadmaps and if you ask them questions, but they also then turn around and ask you questions in return so they can give you the best answer possible, number one. Number two, to get you thinking about it asking questions and including asking yourself questions like i ask myself questions all the time i'm constantly reevaluating the podcast i'm constantly reevaluating the episodes and sometimes i make a tweak and it goes really bad and i have to really like okay like let's not do that again for this episode and like it you don't always know but things happen and you got to be willing to tweak it and do it fast and one of the reasons of releasing an episode a day is I want to have impact and influence, but it's also allowing me to learn faster and be creative faster and get better at my skill faster so I can take on more of the marketing, so I can take on more of the advertising, so I can build a team underneath me that understands it. But first, I feel that I have to master something or at least have a good understanding of it before I ask someone else to do it. So there's a lot of that for me in the creative process also that you mentioned that ownership piece of owning it and then being able to pass on the ownership i like that a lot i also like it when people take so much ownership that they improve on my design that i love as well um that they respect the design enough to improve on it that is a compliment by the way and um for the audience just so everyone knows like when someone improves upon what you're doing in your business or whatever this is one of the reasons i don't like being a franchisee um is that is that when you improve, it's rewarded. And I think that that's important. And I think you're already doing it in your business. So I feel like you're gonna be a different type of franchise program. You're much more open to a large menu and you're much more open to ideas and you're, and yet you're structured in your financial responsibility and using the things that you have to make multiple items off the ingredients you already have as we discussed in the last episode. So, Dennis, I appreciate you. Will you let everyone know where they can find you on social media again? And uh, what are your th- uh, your locations for the franchisees and for your corporate store? Absolutely. And thank you for having me, Justin. Um, guys, if you're interested in learning more about uh, Chicken Waffle, you can go to our website at www.chick-in-waffle.com. Uh, there's information about our locations uh, as well as franchising uh as well as uh, some news articles that uh, have been written about us um, and some pictures of our, of our menu. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, all the social medias, uh, even Snapchat, I think we have now too. It's at Chicken Waffle Co. At Chicken Waffle Co. Um, and yeah, I, again, I appreciate uh, the invite, Justin, and uh, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, conversation here and I look forward to being back soon 
And everyone who's listening in, if you like what Dennis had to say, if you're a fan of chicken and waffles and you're listening in, like the best support you can do for Dennis and the program is share the episode, give it a five-star review or whatever highest review you can give and write something in there that's positive. That helps get the episode out there. That helps spread the word of the entrepreneurs that are on the podcast. And I would say in general, almost 100% of the entrepreneurs that are on the podcast are spreading positivity. I haven't met one yet that hasn't. Um, at least per se, at least from my interpretation. So supporting this and what everyone's doing, I think, is what happens here on this podcast. Like we have a positive entrepreneurs. Everyone's going to a higher level. We just heard about Dennis and passing on the tradition to his son. And they're having real conversations with with team members and employees and and family members. And he's building the right kind of company. So share it influence have impact because that's why we do this it's for the entrepreneurs out there it's for the families who are in the entrepreneurial space or wanting to be in the entrepreneur space or the individuals who think they might want to be in the food entrepreneur space so that's the type of impact we're trying to have is is let everyone know they're not alone and there's plenty of opportunity in food all over the world believe me with the population growing it's not a saturated market and everyone can see that there's not enough food service employees in the marketplace or workers uh, team members and so we have a quite the opportunity for for individuals to come into this space this space and thrive and create new ways of doing things or create new attractive businesses that are attractive to both the employees that work there and the customers who shop there. So that being said, you can find us on Shopify. I'm excuse me. You can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. And I was thinking merchant account for some reason. So again, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts and at Justin, the food entrepreneurs on Instagram. And you can text us or DM us if you have questions or want to be on the show. Thanks. Bye.